Well, hey there, everyone. This is What's Going On in the Garden. <laughs> the podcast where we talk about what's going on in the garden. Why are you laughing at me? Because you had an interesting new accent this time around. <laughs> I was going back to my roots. Oh, yes. Back to the holler. I worked so hard to lose the holler accent, and now, you know, I turn it on just because it's charming. It's very charming. I'm not great. How have you been? I'm doing wonderful. So we should say it's been a long time, but the reason why it's been a long time, first of all, we had a little vacation. We escaped the terrible winter for a hot minute. And then we came back and I caught the flu. Yes. And it was the actual flu. And then I recovered from that for like a week or two. And then you were traveling like crazy. I also got the flu briefly and in, in immediately. And then you were traveling a lot. I was traveling for, a lot. For work. Yes. And then when we were both in town at the same time, I somehow caught COVID. Right. Here in town. Mm -hmm. And then I, you know, we share everything. Right. <clears throat> very giving. Very, very giving of all the viral plague that you bring home. So from. here we are. <laughs> weeks to months later, back in the studio after, I don't know, several weeks where it was pretty difficult to be out in public together at the same yes. <laughs> time. And one of the reasons, why, I mean, we're healthy now, which is good. Yeah. But today it's like mid-April. Yes. And the snow is falling outside. And I would like to speak to the manager. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is where we're having a disagreement of perspective where I'm enjoying spring and you interpret this. And as, I know what that word means. And you're interpreting this as still winter, but there I, are daffodils blooming and so it's spring. I know that all I have done is complain about the weather on this podcast, <laughs> basically all I do. But I really thought that, okay, we're moving back to the upper Midwest. I can handle it. And I even resigned myself to like, it's going to be a terrible winter. And March is still winter. I had resigned myself to that. But now we're having the second snowfall of April. That is a bit more than I signed on for, for far, <laughs> and uh, I'm not having it. Well, that's you're just going to have to deal. Well, I think that segues nicely into what we're going to talk about on the podcast today. Because what are we talking about? Today, I'm going to talk about early spring bulbs. Okay, so we're thinking about the future. <laughs> that's a good thing. Because I think in cold climates especially, you really need something up and blooming, as soon as possible in the spring and we're using spring in the way that i use it which is once the snow melts it's the long-term snow cover melts and you see the ground periodically that's spring there's a whole bunch of bulbs that are really great for that early like boost of color and flowers and feeling like life is growing again like there's a bunch of bulbs that i really really loved always growing up and gardening in ohio and living in michigan that when we lived in coastal virginia i was kind of just they didn't do anything for me like crocuses, because here crocuses are so early and it's very exciting to see that early color. But in a warm climate, I mean, there have been kind of stuff growing and blooming all winter and they kind of were over underwhelming, actually. Yeah, you were very Michael Kors. I'm underwhelmed. Yeah, so the, the crocuses were kind of, and all these other things that I really, really love in a cold climate, I feel like this is where they shine because when you, the snow melts and things bloom, they are so exciting because you haven't seen anything blooming for a long time. In warmer climates, it's kind of meh because there's been stuff going on all winter. <clears throat> yeah, I can I can understand that. But having 
the snow still fall while while the flowers are up is also kind of disappointing too. So I would disagree with that. I think that's the I <laughs> I love that effect of the snow on flowers. There's something kind of exciting about crocuses pushing up through the snow, and despite the fact that it's still snowing, you have flowers. I think that's really beautiful and exciting. So are snowdrops on your list, or should we talk about those? Yeah, snowdrops are on the list. Okay. Um, so snowdrops are one of those things. When I think about snowdrops. Well, there's a couple things that come to mind. First is like the galanthomania, the galanthophilia, the people yes. who pay hundreds of dollars for individual varieties of snowdrops, which is one of those things that I don't get because I under started understanding why snowdrops are great when I saw plantings of thousands of them in mass. Mm -hmm. Because each individual snowdrop is so tiny that a snowdrop makes no impact. It's a little white spot in the snow. You don't even see it. But when it's a sheet of them, it's really impressive. And so the people who want to spend all this money to collect specific varieties, I just don't get it because unless you're fabulously wealthy, you can't buy thousands of them to make an impact. So I lean towards buying just the straight species and get a bunch of them and invest in that rather than investing in the weird varieties. We've had snowdrops blooming in our yard for a long time, and you planted hundreds of them. What would you say, like 500? I think 600, yeah. Okay, 600. There's a lot of them. Um, and I guess it's kind of nice that they came up so early. I mean, something like. February, March? Yeah, yeah definitely started in February, yeah. So, I mean, that is that is a good thing about the plant, that they come up, up that early. <clears throat> kind of an underwhelming plant for me. I agree. If they bloomed any other time of the year, I would not plant them. Yeah. But they're like the only thing that's going to come up and bloom in February, March here, and so that is valuable. And even though I planted 600, that's not enough. <laughs> but right. they will multiply, they will spread. And so when it's 600 clumps of snowdrops in the front, instead of 600 individual snowdrops, I think in a couple of years, it's going to be a sheet of flowers that'll be pretty impressive. And clearly it's something that people who lived in our house before enjoyed because there's like random clumps of snowdrops popping up in the backyard. Yes. Where you know, the previous owners did not tend to very much. At That's all. been fun to see all these bulbs coming up in the spring because there's a bunch of bulbs. Clearly, I don't know how many owners ago the house was built in the 1940s, right? Yeah. So there's been various people here. Whoever owned it before us just let it go to weeds and rack and ruin. But somewhere along the line, there was a gardener and there are some snowdrops coming up around, which has been fun. So the, the other thing that I've learned about snowdrops is about buying the right species. So okay, so there are multiple species. There's a, a bajillion different species. They all have little white flowers with green spots. And so when you see pictures of them, they all kind of look the same. Um, but I've well, so what was left in our house and what is most commonly planted is Galanthus nivalis, which is the common snowdrop. And it blooms with smaller flowers and a little bit later than the ones I planted, which is Galanthus oesii. Um, and again, if you look at pictures, you would see they look virtually identical. Yeah, that's about to say. They, I don't see a lot of diversity, actually. You, they're, they're little white flowers with green spots, right. but the oesii, the individual flower, is almost half again as big as the nivalis. Oh, okay. And they started almost a month earlier than nivalis. Okay. So it's one of those things when you're looking in the catalogs, like in a bulb catalog, you're not going to see a difference because a close-up picture, you can't, you're not going to perceive that. But I think the impact in the garden actually has a big a difference. Hmm. Um, so do snowdrops only have white flowers or can you get varieties that... So the really expensive ones are quote-unquote yellow. 
which um, means like if you squint really hard, you well, can see so it. where they have the green spots on the petals, there are varieties where those green spots are yellowish green instead of uh, green. Okay. Um, but they're still mostly white with like a little yellowish spot on them. It, it's one of those things. If you take a close-up picture with a nice macro lens, it looks <clears> yellow. But in the landscape, I feel like it makes no impact whatsoever. So. I don't know, maybe there's situations where you're growing them in a raised bed where you can get up really close to them and actually see that. But I feel like in the actual garden setting, it's just it just disappears. So you just see white flowers and whether it's green or yellow on the inside really doesn't make any difference. Right. I know of another really early spring bulb. Oh, yes. And what I don't is know that? Is this on your list? Yeah. Do you know what it is? I'm going to guess. Well, the smile is it's Iris reticulata. <laughs> yes, it is, of course, on my list. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. We've probably told this story on this podcast before, but when we were dating and we had not been dating that long, we went, let's just say we went on a, a road trip. Yes. We won't say where it was. <laughs> and uh, you said, come with me to the city. It'd just be like 20 minutes at this guy's house. And then I want to go to the museum. And when we got, okay, well, we had to cross the Canadian border. I'm like saying more because <laughs> well, part of the story. Any, anybody who knows Iris Reticulata knows okay, who we're well, talking about. If you're about. in the know, you know. <laughs> if you're in the know, you know. And if you're not, then you consider yourself lucky in some ways. But the the border agent, I mean, it had to have been like March or something. Yeah, I think it was and March. And you said you were going to look at these flowers in this guy's yard. And she's like, I don't think the snow has melted yet. She totally thought we were up to no good. Anyway, we get there, and what was supposed to be 20 minutes, and then we were going to go to the museum, was like two and a half hours listening to like a long rant about tiny, tiny, tiny little flowers that you can barely see. But they are much more colorful than snowdrops. I would say much more colorful and much larger than snowdrops. Yeah, there's and there's like lots of variety yeah like there's interesting speckles and things yeah, on the yeah. petals so if you're not for anyone who's not familiar iris reticulata or the, is or iris reticulata is a species and then there's related species in the reticulata group okay. um so they're little bulbous irises so if you're thinking bearded irises it's not like that at all they grow from a little bulb little tiny thing i mean only a few inches tall but a classic iris looking flower and they're not quite as early as snowdrops, but I've seen them. They were started blooming around town in March, and you know, which is pretty good for for here. So in in my mind, it's like snowdrops, and then the reticulata group irises are the, like the next thing in spring, and they're the first ones that are colorful and pretty. Snowdrops are like valuable because they're so early. Reticulatas have pretty good diversity of color range and patterns on the petals. They do have fragrance. Oh, really? But they're, you know, they're growing two inches off the ground when it's cold and muddy. So you kind of have to get down on your knees to smell them. But when I have cut the flowers and put them in the vase and bring them inside, I notice the scent. I've never actually noticed the scent outside. I see. Um, did you plant any of those this year? I did plant some, but I did not plan ahead to get them because I didn't know I was living in Indiana um, when I ordered my bulbs. Um, so when I was at the food co-op and they had some in boxes for sale, okay. um, and I grabbed some, but like most of the time when you find like bulbs at the grocery store, I think maybe a third or less of the ones I planted had come up because they've been sitting stored too warm uh, and too long. So I was kind of like, Oh, some reticulatas would be nice, but they, so where should you buy bulbs instead? So I would order them from catalogs. Um, which catalogs? So my favorite sources, uh, I Van, In Van Ingelen 
is one of there's a lot of Dutch companies that that sell them. I like them because they have pretty good prices for large quantities. Okay. And all of these early spring bulbs, like you should never plant fewer than fifty because they're so tiny. Right. One does not make an impact. Ten doesn't make an impact. Do a mass of them. And so they do good prices for large quantities. And then I like McClure and Zimmerman. Um, and then for like weird daffodils, Q daffs, which stands for quality daffs, not queer daffs, unfortunately, <laughs> but um, <laughs> is good for unusual daffodils. And there's Old House Gardens, which does um, heirloom bulbs based in Ann Arbor, Michigan, where we used to live. Um, but I think mail order gives you the widest selection. And then they're shipped from a warehouse stored at the right temperature to your house. And they're not sitting, you know, in a warm grocery store or whatever, baking for a long time. Okay. We'll have to put all that in the show notes. Yes. And the other thing about shopping is like, I would, I've already started putting in bulb orders now. You're not going to plant them till the fall, but the bulb catalogs are just coming out now. And if you wait until the fall to order, you're going to have pretty slim pickings. So interesting. If I, you know, need you to work on something around the house, it's like, oh, I'm busy, busy, busy. I'll get to it. It's delayed for weeks and weeks, but you've already purchased bulbs that you'll plant in the fall. That's interesting to me. Yeah, it's called priorities. <laughs> <laughs> also, I shouldn't talk too much about fixing things around the house since I fix nothing. <laughs> yeah, but I think too, it's this is a good time to shop for bulbs because you can look out and see what's blooming and where you oh, have holes in the garden. Hmm. So by when I'm planting in the fall, I don't remember what the spring garden looked like. And the garden looks radically different because all the perennials are up and nice. So right now I'm looking at the garden and placing orders. I'm also taking lots of pictures of the beds so not pretty pictures showing off the flowers but try wide view that can so i can see where the gaps are because that's the thing about bulbs is once you've planted them and then when you're planting more in the fall you can't see them they're all underground and dormant um so i'm trying to take pictures so that then this fall i can figure out where to put the new ones yeah so my garden goals hashtag garden goals is to have something that is or to have a garden that is really well staged throughout the entire growing season, I feel like we never quite got there. But I would really like, you know, that as early as possible, you have something like snowdrops, iris reticulata, but then it just keeps blooming throughout the whole season. That would be really great. And I guess these kinds of bulbs are really important toward that goal because they come up so early. Yeah, they work really well with that. And the fact that they come up, bloom and go dormant really works well too, because I can plant and I will plant, but we haven't planted much yet, but we'll be planting hostas and ferns and perennials in the same spot mm -hmm. because the snowdrops will be going dormant and just sitting underground and then the hostas can fill in that space. So it's definitely a matter of like staging that so this is like the early spring wave is these bulbs and then we'll be planting later to give you the interest in the colors through the summer and fall um but it's definitely i think like one like taking pictures now is really important for planting in the fall the other thing that i think i've learned in gardening is to try to plant an area all at once so in other words so the front garden i i wish i if i planned ahead i would have bought all the bulbs that i ever want to plant in that front bed and planted them the first fall and just spend like fifteen thousand dollars in one go <laughs> rather than because i feel like because it's so hard to add something to an existing bulb planting when you don't know where the other bulbs are 
Oh, yeah. So when I'm planting everything, I can make sure that the daffodils are right behind this and there's not gaps between the different drifts. But if I plant a drift and the next year I try to plant another drift, um, it's hard to make sure they're like next to each other, not on top of each other. I'm not digging up the old bulbs. But then you still don't know which ones the squirrels have eaten. <sighs> I mean, that's another yes. thing. <laughs> I mean, this is the good thing about snowdrops and the irises and daffodils is the squirrels do not like to eat them. Oh, really? Okay. So crocuses are crocuses and tulips are delicious. Everything loves to eat crocuses and tulips. Um, but daffodils are pretty toxic. I've never tried them. Are they that good? <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> Apparently there you can. There's some story, possibly apocryphal, that during Dutch tulip mania, when tulip bulb prices went to, you know, these insane heights, that somebody cooked and ate tulips not knowing it, thinking they were potatoes or something. I think they are actually edible to humans, too. A lot of these, like, ornamental plants that are, quote, unquote, edible are not you know, no, I don't think nice to eat. I don't think anyone has like subsisted off of tulips, but I don't think they're I think they're not toxic. And the squirrels and deer definitely are well aware of that fact and like yeah. to eat them. Yeah. But so leaning into some of those things that are not so tasty definitely helps with the, the animals not eating them. Okay, so we talked about snowdrops, iris reticulata. You kind of talked around crocuses. They come up really early too. Yeah, crocuses are another one that I one that I really love. And so they can be really early depending on what species, almost as early as the reticulata irises and then some that will go into later, like into early daffodil season. There's a lot of really great crocuses. I have like two favorites that I lean on a lot. So crocus thomasinianus. Is a wonderful Thomas, name. What now? Tom, Thomasinianus. <clears throat> They're sometimes called Tommy crocuses for short. Okay. They they abbreviate that part of the name, not the last <laughs> part of the name. Um, they are probably one of the earliest species of that will bloom, and they're the most squirrel resistant. Not squirrel proof, but squirrels tend to You're leave. Doing them. a lot of air quotes. Uh, yeah, here. I'm doing air <laughs> quotes for the podcast. Squirrels will still eat them, but they definitely do not go after them as much as the other crocuses. And I've had them had pretty good luck with them, even in high squirrel populations. And the best one by far is the variety Ruby Giant. Some uh, Tommy crocuses are kind of a washed out lavender color. Yeah, that's what I think of with crocuses. Actually. The, and then the Ruby Giant is a really intense purple. And it's a really strong oh. color and they do they're really really good and they're a bit larger flowers so they're very early uh perennialize really well multiply really well most squirrel resistant and they give you a pretty intense color i'll say something i don't love about crocuses and it's kind of true about these early bulbs too is i'm i'm a foliage person as we know and they're not very cute on the foliage i mean crocus is just like a stem coming out of the ground with a flower on yeah it. there's not much foliage on any of these early bloomers the snowdrop foliage isn't bad yeah they kind of have like one big leaf yeah um the iris foliage is very very small when they bloom and then it gets pretty long actually okay. but it's kind of long and narrow um i don't think it looks bad but but it can look if you put it somewhere where, where you're expecting something really short and then you get a much taller leaf can look a little out of place um, so I've seen people grow them in rock garden types of things with little tiny mini plants. And then when they're in leaf after flower, they can look a little outsized. Um, yeah, but it's really a lot of these. It's not about the foliage very much. Um, and it can be nice if you have something like a low evergreen ground cover that they can grow up through. Yeah. Then that looks that can give you a nicer effect. That's something I definitely want for the for the garden as we kind of think about how we're going to do it at this house is to have more evergreen things because 
I don't know if I've mentioned this, but there's a lot of winter here and uh, <laughs> having evergreen plants, you know, means that the garden looks good throughout the year. And because so much of the year, things aren't going to be blooming and there's not going to be a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, I think a strategy for planting these is really to plant the early bloomers against or among something that's going to be green you know, borrow a foliage of an acerum or something for the crocuses to bloom against because they don't have much of that impact on, on their own. Yeah, that sounds good. Are you including daffodils in early bulbs? Yes, I was going to mention a couple daffodils. I mean, daffodils can bloom from very early to very late. So it, to me, I mean, I have memories in Virginia of it being like January and we were on the bike trail and saw daffodils. Yes. So you can, oh, gosh. in warm climates, you can go. So the earliest one you're going to find usually for sale is one called Reidenveld's Early Sensation. And that bloomed in January in um, Virginia. Okay. Um, here I saw some- Maybe we should say zones? Yeah, like a zone seven, eight, it was blooming in January. Here in edge of zone five and six, um, I saw some blooming around town uh, probably, it was like late mid to late March, which is really early for daffodils. And it's the big classic bright yellow trumpet. If you think of a daffodil in your head, it looks exactly like that. Probably the earliest one you're going to be able to find for sale widely. And then the other really early one that's really common is tete-a-tete, -tete, which I just read is the most widely, widely grown daffodil variety ever. It's a miniature variety, so it has smaller flowers, um, but multiple flowers per stem. And it's another really, really early one that's pretty. At least we know we can grow things early on in the year. Do you have any tips for making sure we do that well? One key thing to remember about a lot of these bulbs is the reason that they come up and bloom and go dormant so early in the year is most of them are native to areas with very hot, dry summers. So a lot of them come from Turkey and some of these other places where the summer is very dry. And so the only time for them to grow is this brief window in the spring when it's cool and rainy. And so when you're growing them in climates like you know the eastern us or wherever where you have rainy summers the real th secrets to making them happy and getting to multiply and perennialize is good drainage and lots of sun um so i think sometimes we think oh it's a, a, you know we try to grow daffodils in a lot of shade or somewhere where it's really irrigated and that's really not going to help them perennialize and multiply especially the reticulata irises when i've grown them in like wet clay soils they don't perennialize they bloom first spring and then fade away but if you have well-drained sandy soils they multiply and bulk up a comeback year after year so that's really for a lot of your classic spring bulbs whether it's tulips and daffodils all these things are really native to dry summer climates and the more you can recreate that in their siding at home putting them either you know, like a raised bed or in sandy sites or somewhere you're not going to irrigate the happier they're going to be in your garden. So if we have clay soil, can we just not grow them or is it? You absolutely can grow them. So I think, so some of them like daffodils are not very picky about that. Most of them and you'll grow fine. Um, and then things like the reticulatas, um, really building up a raised bed, like a rock garden type situation with some sandy soil over your heavy clay soil will let them perennialize really well. And that can be nice too, because they're so small, like lifting them up, gets them a little closer to eye level and gives them that sharp drainage that they like. Okay. Any other tips? I think that's it. Okay. What plant are you digging? 
Well, the plant I'm digging, and this is kind of a repeat customer, but I'm still into African violets. I think I talked about African violets. Oh my gosh, your African violets look so beautiful. They look incredible. I have never been into those plants. I always thought they looked weird and the foliage is ugly and I'm not really into it. So this is- But these in your office right now that are growing, they are beautiful. So I have several varieties. The one that is killing it is a variety called Bob Serban. Okay. It's double red flowers with a little white edge to the petals. And right now it is about 90% flower. It's this massive yeah. blooms. And I stuck it in a pot and stuck it in the window and stopped the cats from eating it too much. That's it. It's been fantastic. Well, you got to go to the gram, the Instagram and check out these African violets because they are beautiful. The thing that I realized is I ordered it from a place called Violet Barn that specializes in African violets. Okay. Now you can also find African violets like at the grocery store. There's one company that produces and breeds all of like the grocery store violets. I have one that I bought at the grocery store in flower and it has not rebloomed since. And looking at it, I realized that they've been bred to be nice and compact so that they can be shipped without breaking the leaves. Oh, this is your pet peeve. It's bad. It's breeding for getting it to the grocery store looking nice, not for performance on your windowsill. Don't buy your plants at the grocery store, people. Yeah. <laughs> There's a theme. But that, I mean, really, I always thought, oh, African violets are kind of fine. But then going and buying from a specialty grower like Violet Barn. Um, is that Violet Chachki's sister? <laughs> <or>? <laughs> anyway. Three people understood I know. that joke. Well, you're welcome. Just the difference in performance is uh, like night and day. Like the other, uh, the ones I got from the grocery store, I've uh, looked terrible. I wouldn't, I don't, I'm not interested. Like the other ones are looking great. And Bob Serban, if you want a great African violet, he is gorge. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta check it out. It's, yeah. it's really, really great. Yeah, definitely. I guess that about does it for today. It's interesting to hear that you can grow so many things even when the weather is so nasty outside. Yeah, a lot of things will grow right through the snow and be perfectly happy, unlike you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the the snowdrops are a little happier with the with the continuous snow than I am for sure. Anyway, I'm I'm glad that we have some ideas at least and some tips on how to grow nice things. And, and if all else fails, just grow beautiful African violets inside. Yeah, absolutely. You can keep the cats away from them. Yes. <laughs> so if people want to see all the beautiful things that you're growing, they can check you out on the gram. And you are? At Tykonovich. And on Facebook. Uh, Joseph Tykonovich. Are you on anything else? I am not. And your website? Website is josephgardens.com. And the Patreon? Is patreon.com slash joseph gardens okay yes if you can't if you don't know how to spell tykonovich which nobody does then josephgardens.com will get you to all those other places without any um, unexpected spelling yeah sometime we'll have to do a whole show about the many creative ways in which you can misspell <laughs> our last name pibabine was the best pibabine was the best for sure <laughs> but i did get a tykonovich the other day which is like <laughs> All right, uh, I guess that's it. Happy gardening.